I don't need it. As long as I have the Bible. As long as we can take that away. Alright, we can, if we can bow our heads in prayer. Uh, Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that you have called the church uh, to enjoy in the mysteries that is our triune God, Father. That we can claim him as ours because of the work that Christ has accomplished on the cross. We're so grateful, Father, that we have been freed to live life as you designed it to be lived because of the life that was given in Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, that you may be with us, uh, be with my voice, Lord. May the words I proclaim uh, be the word, Father, the gospel, and may um, the individuals here, as well as the collective body that is the church, may they be, Lord, spirit-filled in the reception of this word. In your name we pray and we give you thanks. Amen. So today's sermon is called Mysterious Remarks, the Parables. And we are in chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. The central truth of the sermon today is that this morning we will introduce Jesus' mysterious remarks known as the parables. And we will be challenged to seek and to seize these hidden mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now as just a brief review, we are in chapter 4 of Mark. We've been going through this uh, sermon series called Mark where we're looking specifically at how um, Mark is addressing Jesus as the Son of God, and then also the topic of discipleship. In our last sermon, we talked about the beautiful ones, or the disciples, and we talked about beauty and the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, how the mysterious things of God were seen there in the love that they had and the suffering that they endured and their promised reward. So today, in chapter 4, Jesus is going to begin teaching in parables. And parables are kind of a mysterious thing. They're not very direct. So we're going to examine why exactly does he begin teaching in these, par- in these parables, and what exactly can they, can they tell us. As for the central truth of our text today, it's that Mark wrote, and if you can go to the CTT for me, the one after that. Mark wrote, Mark 4, 1 to 25, in order to introduce Jesus' teaching in parables, and that these parables help illustrate truths about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So this sermon, in specific, is going to be saturated with illustrations, all right? So you guys remember I kind of stole one of my, one of, I think one of your favorite illustrations I've used was the three ducks, right? You guys like that. That was cute. So I stole, let me make sure Lottie's not here watching me, because if she sees she got the balloon, but that was kind of like the trick, so I can use these. These are her favorite. I mean, when I say her favorite, I mean, she loves these little guys more than anyone, right? Does anyone know who this is? This is called Olivia. And she just has a whole bunch of these, right? But I noticed that she had three of them, and it kind of fit with our, our illustration, so I'll just put them down in here. So we're going to open with a story. You guys know I love stories. So we're going to open with one of my favorite stories when I was a kid. I'm going to read it. So there was an old sow. You guys know what an old sow is? Sow. A big pig. There's a big female pig. And the pig told her three kids, listen, you know, it's too expensive feeding you guys. You guys got to get out of here. So these pigs went out 
and they decided they needed to fend for themselves. So what's the first thing they had to do is they had to build themselves a home. So the first pig saw a man pushing some hay. And he said, hey, sir, can I get some of that hay so I could build a house? The guy said, yeah, sure, here you go. So he took it, and he built his house out of hay. And what do you think happened? A wolf came upon his house and said, little pig, little pig, let me in. And the little pig said, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. So he huffed, and he puffed, and he blew that house down, and he ate that pig. You know, the, the modern rendition is that that pig ran away to the other house. No, the classic English one is that he ate this pig. That pig was eaten. So then the wolf comes along to a second house. Well, actually, no, before we get to the second house. So the second pig saw a man pushing a cart with sticks. And he said, excuse me, sir, can I have some of those sticks so I can build myself a home? And the man said, yeah, sure, go ahead and take them. So he built, he built his house out of sticks. And then all of a sudden, the wolf came to his house and said, little pig, little pig, let me in. And he said, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. So he huffed and he puffed and he puffed and he huffed and he blew that house down and ate that pig. So there was a third little piggy. And that third little piggy saw a man pushing a cart of bricks. And he said, excuse me, sir, can I have some of those bricks so I can build my house? And the man said, yeah, sure, here, go ahead, take them. So he built his house out of bricks. And the wolf came and said, little pig, little pig, let me in. And that pig said, not by the hairs on my chinny chin chin. So the wolf huffed and he puffed and he puffed and he huffed and he huffed and he puffed some more, but he couldn't blow the house down. Now, I don't know if you guys hear this part that comes up, but I don't remember the, the next part. Do you guys remember the next part of the story? No, not yet. So, so, the, so the wolf says, the wolf says, little pig, little pig, I know where you can get some turnips. And the pig says, really? Where can you get some turnips? And he says, Mr. Smith's field, he has the most delicious turnips. Come with me tomorrow at 5, and we'll go get them together. And the little pig said, that sounds like a great idea. So the little pig woke up at 4, ran off to the field, got all the turnips, and came back. And the wolf went and found the field empty. So he came back, and he said, little pig, what happened? He said, oh, I got there, I got there an hour early. You know, I, I didn't see you there. So the wolf said, hmm. it's getting frustrated now. He says, oh, you know what? There's an apple tree. The biggest, juiciest apples you've ever seen. Let's go you know, tomorrow at 4. And the little pig said, sure. So the little pig woke up at 3, went over, and was grabbing these big, juicy apples. And all of a sudden, the wolf was coming down the road. And the wolf sees this pig up in the tree. And the pig is getting scared. So he says, oh, here's your apple. And he throws the apple as far as he can. The wolf goes to get the apple. And as he does, the pig runs down. And he goes back to his house. Now the wolf is really mad. The wolf comes and says, little pig, what happened? What was that about? said, oh, I, just, I just have to go back home. So the wolf says, all right, you know what? How about this? There's the most delicious churned butter at the fair. <laughs> That's kind of funny, because here, like the fair, butter, you fry butter sticks. <laughs> anyways, um, so, so he said, let's meet up at 3 at the fair for some of this butter. So the pig wakes up at 2 and, and gets to the fair, but the wolf was a little smarter this time. The wolf starts walking up the hill towards the fair. And when the pig sees him, he jumps in the barrel of butter and rolls down towards the wolf, and the wolf gets so scared at this thing tumbling at him that he runs away. So now he is absolutely furious, and he goes back to the house, and there, the pig inside the house is dealing with something, and the wolf says, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to eat you whether you like it or not. So he jumps up into the chimney and starts to slide down the chimney. 
And as he slides down the chimney waiting for him is a cauldron filled with turnips, with apples, and with butter. And then the pig ate the wolf whole. So let me tell you a second story. And they're both related. This is actually a, this is a Tagalog child song. I've asked two people if they knew it. The man said no, the woman said yes. So do you guys, have, you, have you guys ever heard Ang Lobo Ko? Ang Lobo Ko. Yeah. So how many of you guys have heard it? Have you heard it before? Never? Okay, you've heard it before? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to recite it. You guys can make funny because I know you guys like my, you guys like my butchering of Tagalog, but, but it goes, it goes something like this. Don't make fun of me, okay? I can't say. All right, but this is part of the illustration. It's here for a reason, not to just entertain. Ako ay malobo lumipad sa langit. Oh, you guys got it? Can you sing with me? Let me keep going. I'm, I'm gonna butcher it. I know. Di, di ko na nakita pumutok na pala. Wait, wait, I'm almost done. Sayang ang pero ko pambili ng lobo kung pakain sana nabusog pa ako. Why are you filming this, bro? That's not loud. I gotta get royalty out of that. So listen, yeah, yeah, oh no. Okay, so who wants to, uh, so what happens in that story? There's a kid. That's why it was kind of funny. I just walked into the back room when I was prepping and I saw that balloon there. I was like, how funny. The balloon's there. But so this, that, you know, to translate it, it's basically a kid who bought a balloon. His balloon flies away. It pops. And he's hungry because he used his money to buy the balloon, right? Both stories are kind of similar. So why in the world, because you guys know I'm all about preaching the Bible, why do I open up with these stories? with these illustrations? Well, it's because they really communicate what the parables are going to be for Jesus. They're going to be a way for you to visualize a truth. And in particular, I could have, if you would have asked me, so can you tell me the story about the, can you tell me the reason, you know, about the, the three little pigs? Why would someone tell that story? What was the story about? Now, one person can go and tell you what well, it was about three little pigs, blah, blah, blah. Or they could tell you that three little pigs is about being prepared for the worst. That's really what the three little pigs is about. But if I were just to say that in one sentence, it's kind of like the central truth of the sermon. The, sen- I, the reason I give you the guys that at the beginning is because you know, every time you give a sermon, you want the central truth of the text to be the central truth of the sermon. But if I just gave you that one line and you walked out, you'd miss the treatment and me trying to visualize it for you guys. So in particular, I could have gone and... and opened up the sermon by just telling you guys three little pigs is about being prepared for the worst. But when you actually hear the story, when you interact with the story, when you visualize the story, you learn what it's really about. It's not just about this, these pigs that never existed. And also with the boy, you know, that one's shorter, but what's that really about? It's about being, you know, it's, it's about not confusing your wants for your needs. The kid wanted a balloon, but he needed food. So I could have summarized that story like that, but the fact that it's a, a nursery rhyme, you know, a child's song, makes it easier to remember. I mean, even in The Three Little Pigs, the way he has organized with three and huff, puff, huff, puff, 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 I mean, all that is to help you visualize this truth. And what we're going to learn today 
is that what a parable is, is a parable is a dimming of the light. It's a hiding of the truth. A dimming of the light so that you can see the truth more visually. And that sounds a little bit paradoxical. It sounds a little bit like, how can, how can you see the truth more by hiding it? How do you do that? But that's exactly what those stories that I just recited are. In other words, the story is about being prepared, but he doesn't say that anywhere in The Three Little Pigs. But you learn that, and it becomes more visual. So turn with me to chapter 4, and we're going to look at a biblical example of a parable. This is in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. A parable of the sower. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was besides the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and his teaching he said to them. And we'll pause right there. So what we have right here is Jesus, do you guys remember he set up like a backup plan, like an emergency escape? In chapter 3, he sets up an emergency escape, which is this boat, that at any time they can push him off because the multitudes were coming. I mean, you can imagine back then, you know, they didn't have health care, you know, they didn't have hospitals like we did. So when people started to hear, when people started to hear that, you know, you could become healed just by touching Jesus, could you imagine what started to happen? They flocked to him. So it must have gotten to the point where he could barely even move through a crowd because they were literally pushing each other just to reach over and to touch him. So he had them set up this boat. Now, why did he set up the boat? Remember that in these past sermons, one of the main things that we've been seeing is that Jesus came to teach. In that very first chapter of Mark, we see that when he begins his ministry, he proclaims the gospel. You know, repent, believe, the kingdom of God, right? the kingdom of heaven is near. So here he has this set up for the specific reason that he would be able to teach. And that's kind of interesting because we see this teaching healing dynamic. And we saw in another sermon that you know, the reason he's out there healing is a reflection of his love, but it, it also strengthens what he's teaching. It strengthens the authority of what he's teaching. And there's kind of like a parallel with us today because back then you could imagine some people, they didn't go to hear Jesus teach. They went to go get healed. You know, they wanted to be healed, but they didn't necessarily have to buy into all that teaching stuff. If they got to be healed, they got to go right back into their life and continue doing what they wanted to do, but they were unable to physically do. And today, you kind of have a parallel with, you know, some churches that have like a feel-good entertainment type. So whereas people would flock over to get physically healed, as we're going to see with the parable, there's a parallel in people coming to church wanting to be entertained. Another type of healing. You know, they come to church because they want to feel good. So they'll go and they'll flock to certain type of pastors like prosperity gospel. They'll go and they'll find pastors who make them feel good. We tell them about, you know, the easy stuff. Not the stuff that we saw when we looked at the Beatitudes and what, you know, the kingdom, the kingdom of God really looks like. But they go because whereas they want healing, these people want the feel-goodism. They want to be entertained. And if they're not entertained, they'll go off to another church. So with that comment made, and setting up the scene here, the context, him wanting to teach, let's see what he teaches, what the parable is that he gives it, and why does he give it in light of that context. So we continue in verse 
Number three, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. That's someone, remember, this is an agricultural society. Everybody back then was a farmer, everyone, right? So, you know, this is a daily thing. So this is something that all of them were very, very familiar with. So a sower, you know, he's going out there and he's sowing seeds. He's throwing seeds. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you have this agricultural society, and he says, those, you know, that, that soil, the soil that it was planted in, the good soil produced 30, 100-fold. For an agricultural society back then, if you, got 15, if you got 15 times the return of what you sowed, that was a big deal. But these numbers, this type of fruitfulness, there's one of our key words from, from the Old Testament, this type of fruitfulness, remember Genesis being fruitful and multiplying? There's this essential, you know, there's this essential thing about being human to be fruitful, to produce children, to cultivate the earth. Well, this farmer in the good soil is super fruitful. And then there's something with all these other individuals. So he gives them this. He gives them this lesson you know, from the boat. He's teaching them. And this is the first time we see parables introduced in the text. And after he gives them this teaching, we get to verse 10. So the second part of the sermon, the first part was the parable of the sower. There it is. That's his story. And the second part of the sermon is the first reason for parables. We're going to look at two reasons why he gave these parables. The first reason for parables, and we start here in verse 10. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So one of the reasons the sermon is called Mysterious Remarks is because a lot of times when people get to this verse, they're like, whoa, what did he just say? Did he just say that he was teaching to them in parables so that they wouldn't understand what he was trying to say so they wouldn't repent? I mean, Jesus, that, that seems a little bit odd because, you know, Jesus begins his ministry in chapter 1 by proclaiming the gospel. We see with John the Baptist this ministry of repentance, and we have Jesus proclaiming at the very front of the narrative to repent and to believe in the gospel. So then Jesus says something like this, and it would almost seem as if the reason he's doing this is to confuse them. So again, setting the scene, this is after the teaching. He's with the disciples and some other people. And what are they doing? They're asking him, could you, could you, you know, tell us what that means? And we see there our first reason. And the first reason that he uses parables is that there are two kinds of hearers. In this scenario, there's two kinds of hearers. So in the audience, there's two types. The first type 
are the non-disciples. That's where we see the phrase, for those outside, everything is in parables. For those outside of the kingdom, everything is in parables. Everything is this, this hiddenness, right? And I don't know how, how it looks in your text, but, but one, of the, one of the really important things to understand that Jesus, that Jesus isn't saying, yeah, the reason I'm teaching is parables is so that you could be really, really confused. Because even at times when I'm preaching, there are things that are hidden in the sermon, and they're intended to be hidden. Just like the meaning in the three little pigs is hidden because you have to work towards discovering it because I've learned that, I mean, this is the reason I'm a PhD, well, the Lord has called me to be a PhD student, but one of the most edifying things is when you got that aha moment, you know, like it's symbolized by that light bulb that goes above your head. When you get it, it's so satisfying. But he says here that those outside the kingdom, everything is just murky and, and it doesn't make sense. But one of the keys to understanding this is if you have your Bible, if you look at it, does it show, does it show verse 10? Does it show that as a quotation? Okay, so, so what Jesus is actually doing there is he's quoting from Isaiah. And you know, some texts will clarify this by showing you that he's quoting from Isaiah here, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And you know, when we cross when we cross-reference this with the Gospel of Matthew, this is how the Gospel of Matthew presents the same exact passage. This is in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 to 15. This is why, Matthew 13, verses 13 to 15, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is, full, is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So what he's basically saying there, when he's quoting Isaiah, he's saying that prophecy about people hardening their hearts, closing their eyes, that's being fulfilled right here in this circumstance. And again, the context, he's, he was there on the boat teaching, and you have all these crowds going after him for healing. So he's saying... Look, these people, there's some out there who the only reason they're coming to me is because they want to be healed. They'll, you know, close, they'll close their eyes and they'll cover their ears to the teaching stuff because they don't like that. They don't want to have anything to do with that. But, but they want you know, that physical healing. They want what, what they're after. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, the, one of the reasons why I teach in parables is because you have those types. You, know, you have the types that they're just not going to listen. They're just not. So Jesus takes a strategic approach, which he teaches in his visual images. So why would I bring three little pigs dolls? Why would I bring Olivia to a place so sacred as a pulpit where the gospel is proclaimed? Why would I take time to recite you know, those, those children's stories when I can focus on the beautiful gospel? Right? I can focus on preaching the scripture. Well, one of the reasons is for the same reason that Jesus uses these parables. Stories, I mean, as human beings, we just have this tendency to be curious. There's something about mystery that's attracted to us, that we, you know, and it grabs our attention. And Jesus is using these parables to grab the attention of those people who came to be healed so that they can hear the gospel. So the first group are the non-disciples. For those outside everything is in parables. As 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So in addition to the non-disciples, we have the second group of hearers, which are the disciples. And those individuals who stayed after to learn more. In other words, they, they heard the, the, the lesson, and what was their reaction? Well, tell us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, tell us what, you know, we want more. What does it mean? You know, what's the meaning of, what's the, meaning of, the, of the parable that you just recited? And there it says, when he's, he's addressing those individuals, the 12 and the others that, that are asking him to clarify the parables, in verse 11 it says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Does anyone else have another word besides secret? You have like a, maybe like a King James Version. They'll use the word the mystery. And, and that's real close to the, the Greek, I think the Greek's mysterion. Mystery. And that word doesn't really fit like in a, in a contemporary society. Uh, you know, here at the 21st century, we don't like mystery. You, you, you learn that quickly when you go to a PhD seminar and you talk about the Trinity. You know, people really want to come and understand the Trinity, the triune God. But, you know, when you respond with, well, there's a large element of mystery. I mean, I can't teach my dog geometry because my dog has a limitation in terms of his cognitive faculty. Well, to try to grasp the Trinity is an immense concept, but there's something mysterious about it. And there's almost something beautiful about mystery. It's like when you get engaged. You have that period there of engagement, or as they experience being betrothed, which is this, this period before marriage where it's kind of like you still, you know, you have a, a bond there, there's a security, but there's still not the fullness of marriage. There's still this mysterious aspect of it. And as human beings, we love mysteries. That's why we love stories, because we want to see where do they go. But here, Jesus is saying to the disciples that one of the reasons that he's teaching in parables is because these parables help them understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And we saw some of those mysteries, right, when we looked at uh, the past sermon where we talked about the Beatitudes, and we looked about what the kingdom of heaven looked like, which wasn't what people today in an American context, would consider to be beautiful, to be beauty. But here we have this discussion of the mystery. That, that These are for the disciples to help them understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. So now let's continue in verse 13. This is where he then explains it. So after he's identified that there's these two groups, and that's one of the reasons he's teaching parables, is to get the attention of those that have come to be healed, or, or those who have come to be you know, feel-good, entertained, to grab that attention so that he can fulfill what he came to do, which was teach specifically about what he was going to do on the cross. And then you have the disciples who are questioning him after his teaching, after the service, saying, what did that mean? What was that about? So verse 13 through 20. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So now he explains what he was intending to do, just like I gave you guys these stories of the three little pigs, and I told you what they were about. So he gives the parables, and he explains the parables. And what he explains is, okay, we have the first thing we notice is that there are two different groups. There's two different hearers, disciples and non-disciples. And now Jesus goes and explains the parable, and basically this is what the parable tells us. That first group, those seeds that were thrown in the path that the birds came and ate, the birds, the creatures of the air, there's biblical reference there to the sun, you know, of the air of, of Satan. The ones that are thrown on the past, those are like the indifferent. Those are people who are indifferent to the gospel. You preach the gospel to them, and they're indifferent. They just don't care. You know, the nat- to the natural man, the things of the spirit are foolishness. So the, the gospel's proclaimed to them, the word's given, and they just don't care. Shrug their shoulders. So they're part of that first group of hearers, the non-disciples. And then you have a second element in the parable, the parable of the, of the sower, and that's um, that's the one that uh, he, th- he throws the seed, but it's in like shallow. You ever see like a dra- photos of a drought? You know, do you ever see what happens to the dirt? It begins to like crack. So this one, you know, the seed gets thrown in there. And it seems like it takes hold. But the moment um, things begin to get, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Before that, before that, you have the ones thrown on the rocky ground. So you have the ones thrown on the rocky ground, and you know they receive it with joy, right? But the moment what happens, the moment tribulation or persecution happens, remember from the Beatitudes, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like, is those who are going to be persecuted. So you have this seed that's thrown on the path, they're indifferent. You have the seed that's thrown on the rock, the rocky foundation, but it never takes hold. So the moment... You know, that there's trial or tribulation or persecution, what do they do? Yeah, so, so you have those individuals, they're the opportunistic soil. The type of people who, you know, they'll go to church, they'll have this religious experience, very emotional, but then the moment stuff gets rough, because they're like, whoa, I thought this was supposed to be like a cakewalk, I thought this was supposed to make everything better, they said, this is not for me. They're in there for this emotional experience. They're also part of that first group of, non- of, of uh, non-disciples. The third soil is the interested soil. So here you have that depiction there of, of it thrown into the thorns, the, the seed planted in the, in the thorns. And what happens? What's it called here? In North Carolina, they have some plants. I was always hear it in a commercial. It's this plant that like, kind of goes and covers everything. You see it out when you go into the country. Katsu. Uh, katsu, yes, yes, katsu. I remember I heard that thing in a commercial all the time, and then I finally Googled it. But what does that do? What does the custody do? It kind of like grows all over everything, right? So you can, you can think here, thorns that do that, or you can envision trees that have other plants. That, they're basically like parasites. They have other plants that grow on them and, and suck them dry. Well, these individuals, I think that in the illustration, these individuals are actual disciples. But they're unfruitful disciples. Why? Because although they're planted, these thorns the things that they're attracted to in the world, the things that distract them, the pursuit of riches, you know, uh, certain vanities, sexual moralities, all these things distract them from being truly fruitful. They have this false understanding 
that to have a fruitful life, this is what it looks like. They have to have this and that. But in reality, those things are like thorns because it distracts them from what the kingdom of God and the Beatitudes look like. It distracts them from really being able to see how beautiful this is. And these thorns suck them dry and lead to them living an unfruitful life. You can envision the individuals who come to the church and they hear sermon, and it's great, but then they go out and then they do nothing with it. I mean, not as if what they do is going to complement their salvation in any way, but that they're, they're, they're not overflowing with the type of joy of God's grace that they just have to go and bring this kingdom of heaven to bear upon a dying and thirsty land. And then you have the fourth group, and the fourth group is the fruitful soil. And these are the individuals that are planted, and they receive it, and it's a firm foundation, and it's fruitful. So, the first reason for parables, there are two kinds of hearers. We saw that in the identification of disciples and non-disciples with that usage there of Isaiah with those who just cover their ears and they'll have none of it. They just want to get the healing. They want the feel-goodism. And then he gives us an explanation of the, of the parable where he further identifies these two groups in terms of the seed being planted. Now for the second reason for parables, this is in, this is in verse 21 to 25. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, he's teaching in parables, and you, and you can see why the sermon's called Mysterious Remarks, because at a first glance reading, you're like, what is he saying? Is he talking here about, like we were singing earlier today, about you know, our light shining? Like we looked in the Beatitudes, we closed the Beatitude with the discussion of salt and light? Well, he's, he's saying that, as well as telling us why he's teaching here in parables. And what I was examining is that the second reason why he teaches in parables is because they teach us three principles about truth. They teach us three truths about truth. Principle number one, hiding truth tends to make the truth more visible. Again, think human nature and mystery. We're, attract, we're attracted to mystery. I mean, I'm one of those people that if someone ruins a movie for me, I don't want to watch it. Because I already know what's going to happen. That's why I can't watch movies twice unless it's Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. Then I can watch them a million times. But I can't go and I can't watch movies because I have to have that mystery. And we kind of see that even in the incarnation where God and man, right? We have, we have the incarnate son. Because if we were to look upon God's face, you know, if you can recall from the Old Testament, to look upon God's face you know, is no joke. I mean, even, even when, they, when they saw the angels, the messengers of God, you know, they, they flipped. I mean, angels are scary in the Old Testament. So if I were to illustrate this, think of our two stories, right? Um, the three little pigs, the truth is hidden in there. And what's the truth? Be prepared for the worst. 
He doesn't say that. It's about pigs getting eaten and a pig eating a wolf. It's hidden in there, but the fact that it's hidden helps us understand it even more. Same thing with the Young Robocall um, children's rhyme. You know, he could, it could have just said, you know, don't confuse your wants for your needs. But that's not very memorable. It's one of the reasons why in a sermon you have illustrations to help you visualize what's going on in the text. And to give you some other illustrations of how this works, has anyone ever had a cast, their arm in a cast? Has anyone ever broken their arm? So if your arm's in a cast for a real, real long time, and then you get the, the, the cast taken out, it's like you almost have to learn how to use your arm all over again because it kind of like shrivels up. My brother was bedridden when he lost his appendix birth. And you, I don't know if you've seen my brother. He's like six feet, 250 pounds of like pure muscle, right? Uh, I got the brains. He got the brawn. So, so, but he's a big dude. And when his appendix burst, he was in the hospital for two weeks. And he shriveled up like a prune. No, like a raisin. Yeah, prune's too big. He shriveled up. And he almost had to learn how to walk all over again because since he was bedridden so long, it's called atrophy, right? It just, his muscles shrank. Another example, and the reason that happens is because you don't use it. Right? Another example here of, you know, it doesn't become visible until it's hidden. Like, you don't know how valuable it is to use this arm until you've been restrained. Think of, like, a night lamp. There's a reason why, okay, I'll confess. What I like to do is when, I like to wake Lottie up by walking through her room and then just throwing the lights off and start like singing and like bouncing the bed. And she kind of likes it too. She thinks it's cute. But if I did that to my wife, I would be in trouble. There's a reason why we have these cool little night lamps that you can kind of just touch and they turn on. And you, like anywhere, you could touch anywhere up to three times and it increases the light. Why? Because if I flip that light on, what happens when you just woke up? It's blinding. It's just too much light, which is why you have these night lights. Or here's another example. You know, in other words, in other words, this this hiding, you know, this dimming, a parable is a dimming of the truth. This dimming of the lamp helps us see the room. Whereas if we were just to see it in its fullness, with the lights flipped on, it's almost blinding. Here was another example. So I got this coupon. This thing's kind of creepy. My wife thinks it's really creepy. But I got this coupon in the mail. Right? Like that. I got this coupon in the mail to go get like a free tanning. Never done that before. But I said, it's free. So after Googling, and the only thing I was able to find was, do not tan, you're going to die. I said, well, let me just go do it anyways. So I know I'm radiant. Uh -huh, I'm radiant. So I go and I, and I do the tan, the free tan thing, and then they give me these things. And they said, make sure you put, you put these on. You know, because if not, you're going to get like UV in, in your eyes. So like I go into the room, they're like, okay, it's going to start in five minutes. I'm in the room. I pull these things out, and the strings are not on there, right? So I'm like, I mean, this is not an easy thing to tuck to a tiny little string, and I didn't see like the paper clip that I was supposed to use. But I'm there, and I have five minutes. I'm like trying to stick these things in, trying to tie it. And then essentially I was like, oh, man, I'm down to 30 seconds. I just jumped in the thing, and I just held it. <laughs> I just held it on my eyes. Has anyone ever done a tanning thing? He's scary. Yeah, you don't need to. Ah, show off. Just show off. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, and, and it was only for four minutes because I couldn't. They said I couldn't go any more higher than that because I would burn. I'm sitting there with this thing, and, and I and they let you pick whichever one you want to use. 
I picked like the most expensive one that they had. <laughs> and it had all these amazing features, contoured bed, plastic. Stuff. So I'm sitting in there, and I put this thing on, and I close the thing, and then it starts. And I was a little scared because when it starts, it's just heat. <laughs> and then th this one had all the features. So there was like music, some weird French music was playing. And I'm just like, oh man, I hope I don't like die. You know, I had heart palpitations. Because there's that fear. What happens if it closes and they can't turn it off? But I'm sitting in there and I'm doing this. But why do they give you this thing? One, they give it to you so your eyes don't melt, I guess. They don't get UV poisoning. But, but you notice that they're not closed. They kind of have those two little things to see through, right? And, and one of the reasons they have that is because when you pull the thing down, this is the deluxe edition, so there's all these features that you can use. All these features. And we'll get to the features in a second. But the reason they give you this is because if you didn't have them and you tried to look, it, 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 it's blinding. So they give this to you so you can still see. They dim the light so that you can see what it is you need to see. So principle one was hiding truth tends to make the truth more vi visible. That was verse 21 to 22. Verse 23 to 24, the second principle is that while searching for truth, you will discover more than you intend to find. So when you're looking for something, when you're searching for something, what usually ends up happening is you find more than you were looking for. This is my experience every time I ever do sermon prep. Because my time is limited. I jump in there. I have no idea what's, what the sermon's going to be. I know where it's going to be in Mark. But then all these experiences during the week and things that the Lord has placed on my heart kind of come together. And it's a wonderful, I hope that I convey to you guys what a wonderful experience it is for me because I learn all these things as I'm digging through. And that's really the experience of scripture. And that's one of the reasons why I would send you guys out the sermon manuscripts is because what you learn is that when you seek, when you look for something, when you, when you go in that direction, you're going to find way more than you were looking for. And we see that with the disciples and those who stayed with them. They asked him, what does it mean? And they got more than they were looking for. Principle three, this is from verse 25. If you don't search, you won't find the truth that you don't have. So he says, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, not even what he has, uh, even what he has will be taken away. That doesn't sound fair. What does it even mean there? You know, the one who doesn't have anything, it's still going to be taken away. What he doesn't have. Well, think in light of the context. Think in light of these two audiences. Think in light of the ones who closed their eyes. What we're seeing here is that if you don't search, you won't find the truth that you don't have. So if you don't seize opportunities, the opportunities just, you know, they leave you. I mean, if you're never taking those opportunities, if you never seize the moment, you're never going to begin that journey and everything that accompanies it. So, you know, this is another good illustration because, you know, that deluxe thing, you, you put it on. Now, dims the lights so I can see, can see better, but I can still close my eyes. And if I close my eyes, I would not have been able to use the little control thing. because It gives me just enough so that I can see the little like joystick thing that they have in there and begin to like activate all the features. Aromatherapy, music volume, 
right? You know, face tanner. But if I could not see that, I wouldn't be able to you know, seize any of those opportunities. So in conclusion, let's summarize what we learned today regarding the two reasons why Jesus teaches in parables. Two reasons for parables. The first reason, there are two kinds of hearers. Non-disciples, you know, those who, the natural man, the things of the spirit of foolishness, they're just not going to listen, or they're opportunistic. They'll go and have this emotional experience, but then the moment you know, they're called to be disciples, they're like, Forget it, I don't want to have to deal with that, I want to live my own life. And then there are the disciples, that second group of hearers, the ones that stayed after and said, hey, can you explain that to me? What does that mean? The ones who dig in there, search the scriptures, to go and begin that journey so that they can, you know, reap this fruitfulness. The second reason is that parables teach us three things about truth. Principle one, hiding truth tends to make the truth more visible. We see that in our stories. Principle two, while searching for truth, you will discover more than you intended to find. And principle three, if you don't search, you won't find the truth you don't have. So we close them with this meditation. If you are part of the first hearer, the non-disciples, one of the reasons that we use illustrations is to help clarify these truths. If it was up to me, every single sermon would just be deep, deep, deep exegesis. But the beautiful thing about the Lord, and we see this in the incarnation, we see this in the fact that he speaks to us in scripture, is that if we were to look upon his face, we would shrivel up and die. So God speaks baby language, a language that we understand, and he speaks in regard to our station in life, in regards to our maturity. But to the natural man, to the non-disciple, he does not care. And if, you know, it doesn't matter you know, how these truths relate, they just won't have any of it. And to that, what Jesus has to tell them is what we found in the beginning of the gospel. Repent and believe. For with repentance and with belief and salvation in Christ, what becomes opened to them is the beautiful life that we talked about. But if you are the second hearer, the disciples, what we learn from the parables that we talked about today is that one of the reasons he teaches in this manner, and one of the reasons you know, we have here is the, the scriptures, is that it invites us to seek and to seize to seek after him, to be discipled by him, to be within the church, and to engage in this discipleship with one another, and to seek after the things of God. And to seize those moments that come before us, those trials and those tribulations that we can testify to his grace and his endurance, and to show a dying world exactly why Jesus came to die. So if you can close your eyes with me. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that you... Uh, that you seek and you seize us, that we are not saved by uh, how good we are, Lord. For uh, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead to ourselves, Father. We can't even scratch our nose, let alone save ourselves. But in your mercy, you send Christ. And the language that we understand, Father, the language of human flesh to show us the beautiful life, to be our light that we may be a light, to be our salt, our healing, that we may go out into the world and heal. And Father, we're so grateful that you, you expose these mysterious things to us, that you do them in parables, that you do them within the scripture, that we may seek after them 
and engage in this wonderful journey of growing with God. Father, we pray that as a church, we might understand that this responsibility is not intended for us to do alone, but that you gave your spirit to the church, that we may be the church, the local body of believers, to love one another and to love those that are outside of the kingdom, Father, of the fellowship of the fold. Father, be with us, and may the fullness of your spirit dwell within this body. May we seek and may we seize. Amen.